the school that I worked at, there were little pads on each table for prayer jelly babies, and Samantha sorry jelly baby, or all these types of things get into children and make it difficult for them to kick against it. And they want to be good and they want to go along with it and they want to believe that these things are true. You're listening to episode 50 of the National Secular Society podcast, produced by Emma Park. If you ask many adults today whether they would send their children to a Church of England school, they would probably say yes. CEB schools are often well established and have a reputation for providing high quality education. Often too, they are the only option within commuting distance. But is the influence of the Church of England, along with, to a lesser extent, other religious organisations, always so benign? The evidence presented in two reports recently published by the National Secular Society suggests otherwise. In particular, it indicates that, in recent years, the Church of England has been quietly gaining greater influence over state schools, even those that are not faith schools. One of the NSS's reports on this topic is entitled Religiosity Inspections, the Case Against Faith-Based Inspections of State Schools. It studies the impact of mandatory inspections on faith schools by their sponsoring religious group and presents the key arguments for abolishing such inspections. One of my guests on this episode, Matthew Hill, contributed to this report. My other guest, Chris Selway, wrote a report for the NSS about the Christian educational resource Understanding Christianity. The report examined the ways in which the Church of England has been strengthening its hold over religious education in recent years. Together, my guest speakers and I will consider the ways in which the Church of England is increasingly shaping the content of religious education, particularly in primary schools, and its impact on other aspects of school life, such as collective worship. We will consider the potentially damaging effect which this can have on children's education. We will also be looking at why the CAB continues to be so involved in schools in England and Wales and supported by the education system, despite the lack of religious belief of much of the population. I'm joined now by two former teachers who have seen for themselves the influence which the CAB can have on education. Matthew Hill is a former head teacher at primary school and an educational consultant. Chris Selway is a former RE teacher who has also worked in teacher training. Matt and Chris, welcome to the podcast. Hi. Let's start by just thinking about the structure of the different types of schools in England and Wales, because it's it's a very complicated system and different religious organisations, um, especially the, the Church of England, can have an influence on schools, both faith schools and schools which aren't technically faith foundations, but somehow have religious influence coming in in other ways. So um, if you could perhaps just give us a brief outline of, of what the different types of schools are. Um, Chris, Chris, could we perhaps start with you? Okay, well, I mean, a lot of schools were started by the church back in Victorian times. So by default, they were sort of church schools. And then local authorities developed community schools, which became the majority for quite a long time. Then some time ago, academization was brought in, and then there were, were academies. And some of the academies are have got a, a church foundation, and some of them don't. And then there are the church schools, which uh, there are two broad types. There are Church of England voluntary controlled schools, which are essentially community schools built on church land, which don't receive funding from the church and should provide RE that is in line with the locally agreed syllabus. And then there are voluntary aided schools, which are partly funded by the church and also have 
a majority of foundation governors, so church governors, and the RE in those schools should be in line with the trust deed, so should be in line with you know, a Christian formation, as it were. Great. Um, thanks, Chris. Matt, did you have anything to add to that? Well, you know, we're talking about a lot of schools here in England. I mean, we're getting on for nearly nearly uh, 5,000 Church of England schools and academies in England. And that's, you know, works out about over a million pupils. Um, so it's a lot of pupils, a lot of different levels of church schools. And the, the Church of England are now, I believe, the largest sponsor of uh, multi-academy trusts in England as well. So um, it's still got a major influence on education. Um, and that's even outside schools, which are specifically Church of England foundation schools. Yeah, that's happening as well. I mean, there have been some cases recently in the news of, of schools that have been um, taken over by church-sponsored multi-academy trusts and then having um, relig the religious aspects uh, foisted upon them. Just quickly, uh, this, this podcast is largely about the Church of England because it is by far the largest um, religious organisation that has an influence on schools. Um, how does the Church of England's influence compare with that of other religious organisations, either, say, the Catholic Church or um, Muslim organisations or Jewish organisations? I mean, the Church of England's got a massive impact on all of all schools, apart from Catholic schools tend to do their own thing. They have their own GCSE, they have their own syllabus, and they've got their own system of religious education. Muslim schools, I can imagine, do a similar sort of a thing. Um, they can devise their own syllabus. In mainstream education, the Church of England still has a massive effect uh, upon education, particularly religious education and, of course, collective worship. A lot of schools now um, are changing, uh, moving away from the agreed syllabus, um, and the Church have actually um, come up with a new curriculum called Understanding Christianity, which um, is coming in, and it's, it's a lot more rigorous in terms of the distinct Christian nature of it. Yeah, absolutely. Let, let's start by thinking of, of some of the specific ways um, in which the Church of England exerts an influence on schools. Matt, you contributed to the NSS's recent report on religiosity inspections, um, where, whereby religious organisations can inspect particular types of schools. And this is in addition to Ofsted inspections. Um, so faith schools are, are liable to be inspected by their sponsoring religious group. So Matt, as, as a headmaster of a C of E primary school, you had experience of these inspections, which are called SIAMS inspections when we're talking about C of E and Methodist schools. So what did these inspections involve and, and how did they influence the direction of the school? Well, historically, the SIAMS inspections, they used to come after an Ofsted inspection. Um, and they're all kind of part of the head teachers accountability world that head teachers live in now. And dependent on how effective as a Christian school the diocese sees your school, um, you will have a science inspection uh, every three or five years. So it's on a rolling schedule. The focus is really on the impact of the Christian vision, so the explicit Christian vision and the impact that that has on the pupils and the adults, so all of the stakeholders, teachers, uh, parents as well. So there are seven strands that the inspector will come and, and look at. And, and the way that it operates is that somebody from the um, diocesan uh, education team will come in probably about a year in advance. 
and have a sort of initial discussion with the head teacher. And they will um, discuss uh, how you're getting on against the SIAMS inspection framework. And it's like a small Christian uh, Ofsted inspection. And this will be done under the guise of them supporting you. So we'll say we're coming in to support your, your SIAMS inspection. Um, because we want you to do really well. There's four gradings, and we want you to be excellent. Um, and it's it's graded the same as um, as an Ofsted inspection would be. So you can come out as excellent, you can be good, you can be uh, requires improvement, or you can be uh, inadequate. Why do the science inspections matter? Ah, that's a really good question. <laughs> um, it's the governing body. If you're a, a church school, will have those foundation. Uh, governors on board and also the, the vicar of the local church and as Chris uh, said previously the the church will either own the land or the school that you've got and head teachers want to do well and they want their schools to do well in any form of uh, accountability measure so any form of inspection if the school was previously an excellent church school a head teacher won't want that to drop or to be seen as dropping. It's all about perception. Parents probably won't understand the full nature of a science inspection, but if it comes out and says, oh, the school used to be excellent, an excellent church school, and now it's a requires improvement church school, that's not good PR. So uh, there are various ways that uh, that the science inspection exerts that influence on head teachers and school leaders. So in your own experience, what did the SIAMs want you to do to make your school an excellent church school? Well, you've got to prove uh, all these things. So you've got to prove that all of your school values are firmly rooted in an exclusively Christian narrative. And you've got to prove that uh, you work effectively alongside the, um, the local diocese or the, the local church or the, the youth workers, and that you have the church in and they, they're working with the children on a regular basis. And are the children meant to, to do anything to, or, or are they meant to sort of be able to speak about religion in a certain way? Yeah, well, they, the inspector will come in and they will interview the children on across all of the seven strands and they'll take groups of children from different year groups and they'll ask them what their experience of um, collective worship in the school. I mean, they can ask some really in-depth kind of technical questions. I mean, the kids remember um, some of the children were asked about um, the Trinitarian nature of God and really probes on that and and how collective worship talked about the Trinitarian nature of God. And how old are these children? These are children that can be anything from five to 11. They talk about, they, they wanted the children to explain the varied uh, liturgical traditions of the Anglican faith, talk about the Eucharist, all these sorts of things. And this is in a, a community village school that because of 150 years ago, it was founded by the church, is a church of England school. Even though many of the children attending their families may not be particularly Anglican. Oh, the, va the vast majority of parents see the school as a local village school that they want to go to because they want the kids to be with their friends. They want them to go to a local school. They want to walk to school. The fact that it's a Church of England school is not particularly of any importance to them. Um, but I don't think many of them understand because of the science inspection schedule, because of diocesan education support, I'll say in inverted commas, and the involvement sometimes of the local church, they don't always realise what's actually happening on the ground in, in some schools. Basically, these, these children are required to be 
much more Christian um, to know a lot more about it than, than their parents may know. Absolutely, yeah. Just just to pass the SIAMS inspection. Just, just to pass the SIAMS inspection, yeah. Could I, could I add to that a moment? Yes. One of the um, things that they do expect is that you, as a church school, you're able to produce good results. So they will look at your, your SATS results and expect those to be tied to the fact that it's a good Christian education that is underpinning that in order to help prove the fact that Church of England schools do produce better results, you know, that they're better education, um, which is one of the myths that is perpetrated by the Church of England. Is, is there any evidence that being in a school that is Christian per se helps children to achieve better results in SATs? If you don't take uh, demographics into account, then uh, across the board, Church of England schools do produce marginally better results. But the reason for that is because you've got selective schools where parents who want to get their children to schools that are performing well, that happen to be church schools, will then take their children to church, um, get a piece of paper signed by the vicar to say that they've attended church or that they've been baptized um, just to get them into those schools, uh, to get them a, a place. And that happens with a, a small minority of, of people, but it does have an impact. It also depends on the sort of catchment area, those sort of issues. There is no direct correlation between the matter that it's a faith school. I mean, when, when you take the fact that they've got less uh, children who have got special education needs or have got behavioural difficulties, those sort of issues across the board, uh, a lower percentage you know, you, you take those sort of factors into account, then on balance, there's no evidence that being a faith school produces better results. Matt, would you agree with that? Yeah, I would, absolutely. Um, and just if I just go back um, to the science inspection and the, and the, the new framework, it's, it appears to me, reading between the lines, that, that the Church of England are actually upping the ante in terms of that control that they exert through the inspection schedule because now they're saying that they want to see that school leaders within the school environment have had diocesan professional development as church school leaders, not as educational leaders, but as church school leaders. And, you know, for example, if, if you want to be classified as an excellent school um, in a science in, inspection, you've got to prove that, that you've been used as what they call a centre of excellence I don't know how they decide who, which is the centre of excellence, but this is all about developing future Christian church school leaders. And as, as the, um, the science inspection says, uh, the person God made them to be, um, which again is very loaded. The idea that children should be assessed according to whether oh, this, this, this definition of the person God made them to be, I mean, what does that mean? Who decides what God made someone to be? Now, Matt briefly mentioned um, this new RE resource, Understanding Christianity. And Chris, that was something which you wrote a report about for the NSS um, recently. Could you just talk briefly about what is this Understanding Christianity resource? How is it influenced by the CFE? And how is it used to sort of shape the direction of religious education in schools? Okay, well, I, I wrote quite a lengthy paper, it's about 20,000 words, um, did an awful lot of research um, in order to put it together. And for quite a number of years, uh, a number of people have been pushing for 
uh, a more distinctly Christian form of education. So from 2013, 2014, over 2015, they wrote, Ari Today wrote this Understanding Christianity resource. And it is a resource, not a curriculum, though it is often used as a curriculum for the Christianity aspect of RE. And just so to clarify, who are RE today? So RE today are a major, I mean, the UK's major publisher. Um, they are prolific in the work that they do. Um, they do teacher training sessions. They support SACRAs with advisory and writing syllabuses. Um, they help support the National Association of Teachers Ferrari. In fact, they fund it and help guide it. Um, so, you know, a massive, massive interest. Okay. So RE Today, the major publisher of RE resources, that published this um, Understanding Christianity resource. Now, how is it used and how does it enable the Church of England to influence religious education in schools? When understanding Christianity was being devised, uh, there was a lot of talk, a lot of excitement about it. The church was quite adamant that they wanted it to be a benchmark, not just for their schools, but in fact, for all schools. They wanted this to be, you know, a new yardstick by which it was really going to up the quality of religious education. So, so this resource is for, for, for reception to key stage three. So that's primary school age, basically. So what sort of specific things does the resource want teachers, RE teachers, to teach children at primary school? Um, a lot of the activities are quite fun activities. So if they're talking about creation, they'll go outside, they'll look at nature, they'll collect sticks, and uh, there's a lot of arty sort of activities, which are all very nice. It's, it's designed to engage children and to get them talking about God, those sort of things, to get them thinking theologically. So there are ideas in there like, um, for example, who was responsible for the, the death of Jesus? And they make a pie chart um, about who was responsible for the death of Jesus. You know, was it the Christian, uh, sorry, was it um, was it the Romans? Was it the, the Jewish leaders? Was it was it Judas? Was it Jesus himself? Was it was it God? You know, it's God's plan, and and then the children have this sort of theological debate about it. I mean, to my mind, it's an interesting activity, and it's something that can engage children. But is it actually productive in teaching them about the phenomenon of religion and religiosity? It it doesn't teach them about the fact that who was responsible for the death of Jesus was to blame for anti-Semitism uh, for centuries from Christianity. Uh, that's completely glossed over. Does it teach them to think critically about religion? It teaches them to think about Christianity as a viable way of seeing the world. So no, it's not methodologically agnostic, uh, which is uh, where religious studies uh, is, is traditionally it should be methodologically agnostic. So it has no opinion on whether these truth claims or religious claims have validity or not. Whereas the resource actually invites children to look at texts from the Bible, see how these impact upon Christians, which is really just based upon anecdotal evidence. Um, there's no statistical data to back that up at all, because it really falls flat there when you look at statistical data. Um, and then see how these things could apply to themselves. And therein lies a problem. 
does it adopt the assumption that that these things are just true? It's very, very cleverly worded. It's well worded in that it doesn't push these things as being the truth, but it guides children towards believing that this is what all Christians believe and this is how Christians act. Um, so it doesn't make any distinction between different types of Christians? It does mention things like um, different uh, Quakers are mentioned, Roman Catholics are mentioned, but it doesn't really explain how those different churches came about or how those different manifestations of Christianity came about. There's no historical framework. So it's kind of, it's disjointed from that point of view. Uh, and it's and it's quite open about the limitations, to be honest. If you go on the website, it says this is a resource that is based upon Christian theological framework. It's not going to give you a history of Christianity. If you want that, you'll need to look somewhere else. Unfortunately, when it's built into a syllabus, which it has been done increasingly, there isn't the room then to go and use those historical resources. And it just beggars belief why the church didn't make the, the theological aspect lighter and actually include some of the historical aspect and produce a more credible resource. In terms of other respects in which the Church of England influences schools, even non-specifically Church of England schools, it's a legal requirement in England and Wales that schools should have an active collective worship every day. Matt, how, how does this collective worship requirement work and how far does it enable the church to have extra influence over schools? Well, uh, it, it, it does exert influence through collective worship. I mean, you know, the fact that... Uh, and, and again, through the religiosity inspection, um, it, it gets wrapped up and, and you should be calling it collective worship or worship rather than assembly. because uh, And it's also because of the Victorian trustee that Chris talked about earlier, the foundation governors who are appointed by the church, one of their jobs is to monitor um, collective worship and to 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 really come in and, and, and observe it and, and and make notes on it and check that it is actually um, of a deeply Christian character. So linked with the Siams inspection, you see when a school is um, talking to the diocese about an upcoming inspection, you'll see that the the level of um, Christianity and and evangelism um, really gets ramped up. Um, and you'll see things like the lit liturgical colours coming in and, you know, we're doing this, we're having everything's going to be purple or they'll talk in much more proselytising manner to the children. More evangelical, you'll get people through science, you have to work, sh prove that you work very closely with, with, the, um, with the youth workers and the, the local church people. So they will be asked to come in and and they will see it as for the you know you can understand it from their point of view but they'll see it as a way of evangelizing and they'll talk to the children directly and i've seen vicars um giving very sort of powerful sermons to very small children can you give a particular example well i i, I can remember a vicar coming in and and sort of walk uh, walking through all of the infant children literally shouting at them um, and pointing in their faces and saying, Jesus loves you, and Jesus loves you, and Jesus loves you. And this went on for about five minutes. Um, and it, was, it, it seemed for a, for a community school 
um, you know, you, I would have been quite shocked to see that in a church, let alone a village primary school. What, what do you extent do you think that um, this religious influence um, affected the children um, in your school? Um, well, I mean, most of them, don't get me wrong, most of the messages are about love and compassion and tolerance. Um, but children want to be good. Um, so if you, if you have a Christian head teacher or if you have Christian teachers, the fact that it is a church school, teachers will use that as a way of being more evangelical or proselytizing. And they will talk about Bible stories as fact. They will talk about Noah's Ark as fact. Jesus's miracles, they will, will talk about that in class. And it can be very confusing for children. And they'll go back and they'll talk. And I had, you know, several parents coming in and saying, asking me about, you know, what the, the child had been told about why a rainbow existed or why it was raining and things like that. And they've been told a very sort of creationist answer to these questions. So... The church school badge, um, if you, not, not all Christian teachers, but some Christian teachers and some Christian head teachers can use that to validate um, a more evangelical approach. So and this, is, this is at the age at which children can't yet learn to distinguish between scientific facts things, and things in the Bible. Absolutely. Yeah, we're talking about four or five, four and five-year-olds, yeah. Um, and it's very, very common in Church of England schools um, for uh, Christian teachers in worship and assemblies and things like that to speak in these terms. Chris, what was your experience as an RE teacher of primary school children? W were you able to teach in such a way as to get children to distinguish between the, the stories of the Bible and scientific fact or historical fact? Yeah, I, I was because... Uh because I came from a, a religious studies background and um, uh, the way that I mean, before we adopted the uh, RE Today syllabus um, and even when we adopted the RE Today syllabus because I did ignore swathes of it, um, I taught year four about myth and we looked at creation myths and I, I taught them, you know, you know, this is a story that's not true, it's not meant to be true, it's meant to be a story that's got meaning. Um, so the creation story, the Christian creation story, was taught alongside, you know, Egyptian creation stories or Mesopotamian and those sort of things from all around the world. And we looked at commonalities, like the flood theme and those sort of issues. So that's how you taught it, right? But but how does understanding Christianity? Um... Um, understanding Christianity has to unpick it. In in typically in year five, they do a unit that is um, creation or. Um, science conflicting or complementary in that unit um, it unpicks the sort of the harm that was done by teaching creationism in key stage one and it says well actually this is the big bang and this is this is how it happened you know the scientific idea um, so some Christians and it, it sort of belittles them really it says some Christians believe in creationism you know um, I mean, it is about 6% in this country, um, and it tends to tend to be the, the sort of highly evangelicals in the um, in the States as well that are creationists. Um, uh, but then it uses, for example, Christian scientists to evidence that, in fact, there are scientists that are quite happy to, uh, you know, say that you know, it happened along scientific lines, but God guided that. So... 
although it doesn't acknowledge the fact that the majority of scientists aren't religious uh, <laughs> uh, and it shows a lot of scientists it cherry picks some scientists that are christians um and and they explain how you know they can be complementary it just guides children to believe that um the two things are, are complementary rather than conflicting uh, which is of course how the church of england sees it so that's even in year five but before that children are not even taught that that creationism is just one um story well they no because they're not taught that there are different creation stories so for their formative years where children are they're most susceptible they are just given a diet of christianity and a lot of that is based upon the old, very old-fashioned approach of the Bible studies from, you know, almost Victorian times, where they started with the story of Noah's Ark and Genesis and those types of things. And uh, as Matt has already said, children at that age are not equipped to tell what is the truth and what isn't the truth, and and what is a what is a story, what is a belief, uh, and what is a myth. Just and as well, just talking about the syllabus that are taught in, in schools, the lack of um, a national curriculum for, for RE. I work for a head teacher that scrapped uh, the agreed syllabus and taught uh, an exclusively Christian um, syllabus for the, for the whole of primary, so Key Stage 1 and Key Stage 2, and even went so far as to Year 6 study evolution and science, took that out. Um, and said that this was all done in consultation with the local church and the diocese and that this is what we had to do. So that's just an example of, of a way of the way that in which individual t- head teachers and individual... Um, it, yeah, it can be, yeah, because it's a bit of a grey area in, in terms of Ofsted inspection, in terms of what is taught, you know. Um, it can be, there can be abuses of, of, in these areas. And the system allows for that. Yeah. A lot of people I've spoken to um, over the years, despite being fairly moderate or irreligious themselves, don't see any harm in sending their children to a C of E school. A common reaction is, I went to a C of E school um, and it didn't do me any harm. C of E schools often provide a good education in other respects because they're well-established and well-funded. And many people see Christian values as little more than being nice to people. Matt, would, what would your response be to this attitude? Is the C of E's influence on the education system and on students purely benign? If a school has a Christian ethos, does that mean primarily that it encourages students to be nice to each other? I think generally, yes, because most of these human values are universal. Um, uh, they're not exclusively Christian, although you are expected to say how the values that you have in your church, uh, in your school, are exclusively Christian. But I think most parents certainly just want to have a good, local, inclusive school. They don't mind, you know, a bit of uh, Bible stories and things like that. I don't think that most parents understand the nature of the religiosity inspections and the impact that that has on schools. I think that Chris alluded to earlier that that church schools are are good schools. There's this myth again that achievement is better, that behaviour is better, that I think is is still encouraged by the diocese and by by the Church of England. Um, They definitely want it to be be seen like that. 
But I think most most people are happy are happy to send their children to a church school because of what you said. They're established. They tend to be well funded, um, and they've been around for a long time. Do you think the CFA is exploiting this to make the schools more religious than they would otherwise have been? I, I think they definitely are. And I think that it's actually in a time that you would imagine education would be more secular. I think they're, they're upping the ante and that through things like understanding Christianity, through the setting up of, of Christian multi-academy trusts and the rewriting of the framework in terms of preparing school leaders to be church leaders and Christian leaders. I think it's it's definitely a way for them to control um, schools and to exert pressure for schools to be places where evangelical uh, practice can occur. They're very careful with their words. They wouldn't they wouldn't write that down, but certainly, you know, there's an expectation that church that school leaders are Christian. Um, that the, the the bulk of the populace and the children and the parents and all the stakeholders are Christian, and that they fully support the messages that they're giving to kids. I mean, a lot of the things are done under the radar as well. I mean, there's a big thing around where I live at the moment about um, a behaviour system that's all funded by a Christian group, and it's this sort of Christian behaviour robot that sets out the way that the children should behave. Um, and that's all done through collective worship assemblies. There's one school that I worked at, there were little pads on each table for prayer jelly babies, and there were different uh, colours of jelly babies that represented different forms of prayer that the children could, uh, you know, pray um, Samantha Sorry jelly baby. You know, the, all these types of things um, get into children and, and make it difficult for them to kick against it. And they want to be good and they want to go along with it and they want to believe that these things are true. So there is an influence and um, it's not um, good in terms of critical thinking, I think, as Chris said as well. Chris, would you agree with that? Yeah, I'd agree with that. The notion is quite clear from the church that um, collective worship should be invitational by nature. And if you're in a position of authority, if you're a teacher, and you're in front of a whole school full of children, and you invite those children to sit up straight, those children will sit up straight because you're in a position of authority. If you invite them to put their hands together and bow their heads, they'll comply. If you invite them to join in a prayer, they'll join in the prayer. You know, at the end of the day, I've got nothing against prayer. If you want, you know, if we want to have a collective worship corner and you want to come in at playtime or lunchtime, and you want to have a quiet prayer, by all means, you can go and you can do that. I've no issue with that whatsoever. Nobody ever did. Lots of children would, during lessons would say, can I go to the toilet? And not one child ever said to me, can I stop for a prayer break? Because <laughs> we didn't have religious children. You know, we had less than 5% of our catchment in the village school we were in actually identified as Christian which is, you know, it matched the national demographic. As Matt said, they are universal human values at the end of the day, compassion, forgiveness, those sorts of things. Those are great human values. But they're not specifically Christian. Absolutely not, no. But, um, but children are taught to articulate it as though they are. And certainly through the science inspection framework in the school that I was in in over 18 years, and it was very much like a community school when I went into it. 
we gradually had to up the visible aspect of it being a church school. So there were more sort of Christianity displays going up. And then towards the end with the new framework, which I was charged with implementing, and I, and I, I had to leave through ill health before it actually before we actually had our inspection and i was quite grateful to have escaped it to be honest um but i found out that we didn't get an outstanding um after i left because the children weren't able to articulate how the christian ethos impacted upon their learning because they were expected to do that by quoting from the bible yeah i had exactly the same thing yeah, Matt, Matt, could you explain a bit more? Yeah, just in terms of, you know, um, talking when the inspector was talking to groups of children um, and they, they, they couldn't give uh, specific examples from the Bible and, and link their learning to biblical teachings, you know, you, you're not going to get an excellence. Uh, we got good in eventually, which is probably the same as what Chris got, but it's, it, it is like a little, it's like a little kind of Bible study thing that, they, that the children have to speak about and... Uh, you know, these children weren't church-going Christian kids. They just thought they were going to their local village school. So there's, there's this strange irony that although um, Christianity is meant to be something which you, which is voluntary, actually what the CV is trying to do is really impose religion on children from a very early age indeed um, before they can think critically about it and not encourage them to think critically about it. Yeah, and I think that's, that's what the Symes Inspector um, framework does. I think it, it is an attempt to impose a particular kind of Anglican Christianity onto communities. What, what about the teachers? Um, Matt, I think you, you said to me when we were talking before that one of the reasons you left your position as head teacher was because of the CFE's increasing influence on your school. How did you find the CFE's influence I mean, in your long teaching career changing? And how have you seen it affecting other teachers now that you're a consultant? Um, well, I've worked in, in four schools for decent lengths of time, and I worked in two community schools and two Church of England schools, so in quite a good position to, to see those differences. The majority of teachers just see, think, well, I work in a Church of England school. This is, this is what it's like. I have seen head teachers be very manipulative and exploit their lack of understanding about what a church school actually is to... Um, implement some some really quite dangerous things. I talked about the syllabus earlier. I've seen teachers get very angry about it and not understand it. I can remember the year six teacher when who was told that um, they weren't going to be studying evolution um, was very, very angry and started looking for a different job. But for me, it was just this sort of sense of cognitive dissonance, really. It was just kind of like I, I was expected to lead something um, lead a process that I fundamentally disagreed with. And do you know what? It's a church school. I would have been quite happy um, to, you know, have a little bit of learn the good things about Bible stories and compare them to other things and have the vicar coming in and talking. But it's this kind of, I felt this relentless pressure from the, the diocesan education department who I, did, I don't really know what their qualifications are in terms of education. Increasingly, um, having an influence and it definitely ratcheting up in terms of the expectation of evangelical practices in schools through very good, lovely, good meaning people. Asked, you know, they're all nice people that think they're doing the right thing for the children, the youth workers, the parish workers, 
the PCC, but I was seeing more and more direct influence and more and more kind of um, indoctrination of the children. And I didn't like it. I mean, most of the governors I had were great and, and they were lovely people. But it's the, the governing body is definitely another way of, ex, of exerting control and power that the church use. As a final question, Matt and Chris, what would you say is the way forward from the current situation of this um, excessive influence of the Church of England upon education in England and Wales? First of all, Matt, how do we stop this sort of influence? Well, I think campaigning bodies such as the NSS and No More Faith Schools um, are doing a vital job um, holding uh, people to account, whether it's the government or the Church of England. Um, I think it's got to come down to publicly questioning things, publicly questioning um, frameworks such as SIAMs in schools, um, questioning religious involvement in schools, um, even things like parents questioning your children about what they're being told at school and then going back and asking the school about it and saying, what are you telling my child? Bodies questioning politicians. I think people have got to stand up against it. It's really hard if you're a head teacher or a school leader um, because you want to do a good job. You're concerned about your career and the vast majority of people while they're in post uh, toe the party line and 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 try not to cause too many ripples. But um, I think, you know, the campaigning bodies such as the NSS really um, are doing a great job of holding the church and uh, government to account. Chris, as far as Ari is concerned, is there a way of reforming it given the current realities of the influence of the Church of England and other religious bodies? Or do you think the subject should be scrapped altogether or amalgamated with another subject? The best thing for RE going forward, um, it doesn't look like there's going to be any meaningful reform. It's unlikely, very unlikely to happen. But I would suggest that if you want to do away with the right to withdraw and you want to give uh, pupils uh, actually a, you know, an understanding about religion and culture that is meaningful and is actually practical, then it needs to be built into a brand new subject that is mandatory for all schools that is part of, say, a citizenship uh, subject, which is about diversity in society. And it breaks away from the way that Ari is taught completely and it's, it's, it's reappraised and, and redesigned from root and branch reform, you know, complete start from scratch approach. Matt and Chris, thank you very much. Thanks, Sam. Thank you very much. This episode was produced by the National Secular Society, all rights reserved. The views expressed by contributors do not necessarily represent those of the NSS. You can access the show notes and subscriber information for this and all our episodes at secularism.org.uk forward slash podcast. For feedback, comments and suggestions, please email podcast at secularism.org.uk. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave us a positive review wherever you can. Thanks for listening, and I hope you can join us next time.